Hello, everyone. This is Martin Pitella, Life Enthusiast Podcast, and with me, Spencer Feldman. I must tell you, Spencer is probably the most favorite researcher that I've done interviews with. And I thought that we had it all figured out. We talked about toxicity and we talked about protection from all kinds of infectious things. And I thought we had it all down. And Spencer shows up with secondary toxins. And it's really important to understand that I have talked for ages about the industrial toxins that come from outside, the, the heavy metals, the lead arsenic, the uh, cadmium and mercury and the likes, and they cause a horrendous amount of damage. But there is this thing called secondary toxins. And I would like Spencer to jump in and start explaining where this research has led me, led him. And let me tell you, this is a bunch of rabbit holes that we did not know that were there. Spencer. Hey, Martin, nice to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's a whole new world of stuff that we have to learn how to deal with. Okay, not a big deal. So um, in previous podcasts, you know, we talked about how if a toxin is water-soluble, it gets urinated out. And it's the fat-soluble toxins that cause the real problems. You know, they, they get into the lipid membranes and the body has a very hard time getting rid of them. So how, you know, one way to think about detoxification is it's finding the right kind of soaps, as it were, that can make these fat-soluble toxins water-soluble so you can urinate them out. Yeah, binders emulsifiers detergents. Right. So, right. So yeah, the soaps, the detergents, they make them water soluble. And then the binders would be something that uh, grabs onto them now that they've been mobilized and then helps them go out because even a, a water soluble toxin, like a water soluble mercury is still poisonous. It's, it's still trouble. So yeah, that's the whole binders angle. Um, so uh, we talked about heavy metals and toxic chemicals. And I, I call these for lack of a better term, first generation toxins. Uh, and in this po podcast, I want to talk about another class of toxins I called second generation or secondary or second generation toxins. And these are toxins that are created inside the body as a result of the first generation toxins. I want to talk about what they are and what problems they cause and, you know, how we can get rid of them. And if you want an analogy, uh, first generation toxins would be uh, like a hole in the ship. And the second generation of toxins would be the three feet of water at the bottom of the boat. Now, of course, you have to fix the hole in the ship because until you fix the hole, it's gonna keep leaking water. But even if you get rid of the hole or are able to patch it up to a degree, it's not enough. You've also got three feet of water in the bottom of your ship causing trouble. That's the second generation toxins. So yeah, we you have to bail it out. You have to mop it up. You have to paint over it because it's already rusted your hole. Yep, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to talk about um, how we can bail <laughs> bail our bodies out of these second second generational toxins. Um, so, what are first generation toxins? I would say that these are things like toxic metals, like mercury and lead and oxidized iron, as well as chemicals like the pesticide glyphosate. And then you've got and. So what makes these toxins so damaging is the, their, their degree of reactivity with fats and proteins. Now, if they were less reactive, Martin, they wouldn't cause that much damage. And if they were more reactive, they would bind irreversibly with our tissue 
and then stop reacting, right? Because now they're completely bound up. Uh, instead, these first generational toxins, uh, they're right in the middle. They're just reactive enough to cause a lot of trouble, but not so much as to get permanently bound to the fats and proteins they're reacting with. They are catalytic. In other words, they don't get used up while they're doing their damage. They're gonna to continue to do their damage for as long as they're in their body. And that can be a really long time because our body has a very limited capacity to remove them. In fact, my personal experience, mercury, right? Mm -hmm. And I've had plenty of that and it just keeps on generating the tendency toward fungal growth because mm -hmm. I think the body intentionally grows some kind of a mold in its attempt to try and just rot that thing out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, right. So the human body has, um, I don't want to say it has design flaws, but there are certain blind spots biologically where it just doesn't know how to deal with certain things, uh, specifically things that we've invented in the 20th, the 20th and 21st century. It just, you know, has not had the time to figure out what to do. Okay. And so then we end up with second generation toxins. Uh, these are uh, the oxidized and rancid fats and the damaged proteins that the first generation toxins create. And, you know, we have some capacity of dealing with some of them. They can be recycled by our lysosomes. Okay. That's L-Y-S-O. Yes. As in lysis, as in mm -hmm. cleave and rip apart. Mm -hmm. And zome as in like stuff that does something, machinery. Or, or body, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, so mm -hmm. yeah, these are the little bits in our body that are in fact capable of ripping up these things. It's sort of like <laughs> little dogs tearing at stuff until it's no longer harmful. But anyway, lysosome in a cell capable of taking right. apart and, things that are harmful. Right, and we've got them in all the cells, well, not red blood cells, they don't have anything in them, but every other cell in the body has lysosomes and they're the recycling centers. When something gets worn out and needs to be recycled or if something is toxic uh, or if a cell has to uh, commit suicide because it's becoming dam damaged or virally infected, it's the lysosomes that do it, a very important part. The lysosomes, if you're into detox, you have, you know, lysosomes are the detox organ of the cell to a large degree. Now, I guess the amateur way of get, getting there would be fasting. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that. Um, and fasting will shrink swollen enlarged lysosomes, but to a point. And yeah. there are some things it can't get rid of. And that's coming from someone who's done lots of very long water fasts and has a tremendous respect for the power of fasting. Um, there's some things that fasting can't get to because there's some things the body just can't deal with. So some of these uh, damaged fats and proteins the body just has no mechanism of handling them. Sometimes it's because of what they are. And sometimes it's when they crystallize to a certain size, when they get to a certain size, the body just can't, can't do anything with them. They're just too big. And the lysosomes can't recycle them. So these are the second generation toxins. And like the first generation toxins that created them, they are also catalytic. And that means, again, they will keep causing problems as long as they're there. They don't get used up. And you know, what are the problems? Well, these are the things that we tend to get if we live long enough. Uh, heart, uh, heart disease, neurological issues, senility, cancer. Um, these are all associated with this class of toxins. So in these second generation toxins, there's three classes we could say. There's toxic fats, there's toxic weight, uh, waxes and toxic proteins. 
So let's start with the toxic fats first. You know, a lot of people, you know, we make a product for detoxify, to support the body to detoxify fat-soluble uh, toxins. That's our Xenoplex product. But what do you do when the toxin is the fat itself? It's not that the toxin is in the fat. The fat itself is the, to the toxin. So let's talk about that and uh, the, the role of fats. Now, the body, you could consider a collection of trillions of cells, a superorganism of trillions of cells, and every cell has a membrane around it. And with the exception of red blood cells, every cell also has hundreds to thousands of smaller cells inside called organelles. And each of these organelles also has a membrane. One of the organelles, as we just discussed, are lysosomes. But membranes are more than just the skin of the cells and the organelles. Membranes decide what compounds go in and out of the cell and the organelles. This controls how the cell behaves. It controls what the DNA does, and what kind of proteins and fats are made. Membranes are the brains of the cell, and damaging membranes is a kind of cellular lobotomy. Yeah, I, if you could visualize it, these are like doors, and each of the door has a lock, and you need to have the proper key. And if you're arriving from the outside, you have to have the key, knock, knock, let me in, and the inside has to unlock, open the door, and let this thing in. It's actually amazingly complex. Have you studied the work of Bruce Lipton at all? Oh, yeah. Okay, so you know he's all about how membranes are really running the show. That's right. The, yeah, I, I remember when he did his uh, research, he said uh, that the um, membrane is the brain, and the mm. nucleus is the gonads of, mm. The, mm. of the cell. And the mainstream medical people have been acting as if the gonads were running the cellular mechanism, but they're not. It's the membrane that's running the show. So the membranes are made up about 50-50 of fats and proteins. And let's start with the fats. Over time, these fats oxidize, they become rancid, and they need to get replaced. That's just part of life. Uh, and it's the job of the lysosomes, the organelles inside the cells, to recycle oxidized fats. Unfortunately, over time, lysosomes can get damaged by toxic metals, right? So one of the things that the lysosomes do is they're destroying toxins and they'll see a metal and say, oh, that's a toxin. And they bring it in to destroy it, but you can't destroy a metal unless you are in the furnace of a sun because the metals are elements and that's, they're already as destroyed as they're going. They're not, they're as simple as they're going to get. So yeah, it, it case, reminds me of ping pong balls trying to destroy a brick wall, right? Yeah, I mean, basically what happens is the lysosomes grab onto these metals and with the, the hopes of destroying them and they can't and they just sit inside the lysosome, damaging the lysosome and stuffing it up until it fails. So yeah. the over time, the, the lysosomes get damaged by both the toxic metals and then the sheer volume of oxidized fats that they have to deal with. And then right. these fats start to accumulate. And in the case of cholesterol, they form crystals. And again, once these crystals reach a certain size, then the lysosomes can't do anything about them at all, right? They're, yeah. they're insoluble and they're just way too big. It was too big to swallow. It's too big to swallow, right? Yeah, it's like, you know, trying to, trying to bite an, trying to eat a, an elephant with one bite, yeah. <laughs> right? So what happens is the cell then sends out an emergency signal to macrophages and they come in to help. And that's the white blood cells that move along. And they are, the, they are mobile lysosomes. And what that means is they're a combination between police officers and garbage men. 
And in this case, they're being called from their garbage bin perspective. They, the cells say, please help deal with these cholesterol crystals and oxidized fats. I've got more than I can handle. So the macrophages come on up, but they're no match for the, the cholesterol crystals either. And they die also trying to digest them. So then the dying macrophages send out a signal uh, to attract other macrophages to come and help. And then the process continues and you get more and more of these macrophages dying, trying to go clear this cholesterol. And this is how our arterial plaque forms. Um, the, the dead blood cells, white blood cells are called foam cells. And this is why they almost always continue to grow. Plaque is literally made from the accumulation of oxidized toxic fats and cholesterol crystals and the bodies of the dead macrophages that tried to eat them. Oof, that's a terrible picture. <laughs> so it's a, essentially it's a little we're piling, yeah, we're piling these corpses uh, on the on the moat, trying to get across, and we're not uh, we're not getting there. The moat's too big and the walls too high. It, it, it's a little gruesome, yes, and you know it's like I said, this is a blind spot in, in human biology because. Uh, you well, know, we're, you know why? We're not constructed for industrial lifestyle. No, no, we're, we're not. Okay, so that's, that's sort of an introduction to toxic fats. Let's talk about something called toxic waxes. Now, another toxin that fats can turn into are toxic waxes. Waxes are like fats, you know, think of like a candle wax, right? But the chemistry is slightly different. And when we're born, we're covered head to toe in a healthy wax called the vernix cassiosa, if I'm pronouncing that right, cassiosa. And it's made up of a waxy substance called ceramides, which actually um, people take as a supplement to try to get looking young again. Now, um, what happens is saturated fats can combine with metals to form these toxic waxes called metal soaps. That's things like mercury, lead, barium, nickel, iron, cadmium, even calcium can form toxic soaps, uh, toxic waxes and uh, metal soaps. And this is one of the ways that toxic metals can lodge in fatty tissue indefinitely is in this waxy material. And what happens is as we get older, the healthy ceramide waxes that we should have to keep us young and flexible and make our skin look youthful and keep everything uh, healthy, it gets replaced by the toxic metal soap waxes. Uh, and one example that you can often see as you get older are age spots. So if you look on the back of your hand and you see those brown spots, which is called an age spot or lipofuscin, that's actually the uh, the metal soap, the toxic wax accumulating. Yeah, and we get a lot of calls about, can you find a way to make my skin even tone again? Because I look now like somebody splatted a whole bunch of brown paint on my face or my right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, um, there's the cosmetic angle, but there's also the biologic angle because that's really a sign that toxic waxes are throughout the whole body, um, not just where you can see them. And then the third class would be um, toxic proteins. Now, uh, proteins are long chains of amino acid that the DNA instructs the ribosomes, another cellular organelle, to make. And these long chains of proteins are then folded into their shape in the endoplasmic reticulum. And they form the shape of the proteins that we use. And it's the shape of the protein that gives its ability to do its job. Like you said, the key and lock, that's because different things have different shapes. And if you alter the shape of the protein, uh, it's not gonna do its job. Right. 
and so, they are activating and inactivating when when you attach for example a methylation ch3 at the end of something it'll turn it from this to that from mm -hmm. usable to non-usable or active or inactive all of that right mm -hmm. yeah i mean whether it's insulin or antibodies or growth hormone um, if it doesn't have the right shape it's not going to work uh, now you could think of proteins as those long balloons and the endoplasmic reticulum is the friendly uncle that twists and folds the, the balloons into things like a hat or a dog for a small child, right? Now, uh, unfortunately, first generation uh, toxins, especially the toxic metals, cause these proteins to misfold. Now there is a quality control system in the endoplasmic reticulum that will send these, mis it'll either try to repair these misfolded proteins um, or uh, send them to be recycled in the lysosome. But over time, again, the lysosome gets overwhelmed and these misfolded proteins, uh, they enter the cell cytoplasm and they accumulate. And not only do these proteins not function the way they should, they also jam up the works. Um, they can also be con further converted into something called prions, which I know you've heard of. Oh man, that, that word should uh, send a cold chill into everyone's heart. Prion, the yeah. first thing that comes to me was mad cow, Kreutz, Kreutzfeld Jakob. Yeah. That thing, and we thought that this was caused by feeding offal to animals, as in when chicken and the cow or whatever die, we process them into this protein mix, and then we throw that into the feed into the livestock, thinking that we're going to make the feed richer because protein makes them grow bigger, stronger. Anyway, that, that was the pathway by which we thought that uh, this prion will arrive. And if it gets in your brain, especially because it's the fat and so on. Well, you, you pick it up from here. Yeah, so prions are uh, a talent. And yes, um, you can get, prions are transmissible by food. So if you feed an animal that has prions to another animal that doesn't, the, new, the second animal that ate it will get prions. But, it, but that's not the main way in which prions are affecting humans. Um, so indeed, it does cause mad cow disease, but that's just one kind of prion. There's actually, uh, there's many types of prions. And we now know there's over 50 diseases that we now know are caused by prions. That's Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, ALS, cystic fibrosis, cataracts, type 2 diabetes, and as far as I'm concerned, most forms of senility. Now, like toxic fats and waxes, prions are extremely stable and virtually impossible for the body to get rid of on its own. Uh, prions, even though they're protein, they, they resist digestion by proteases, by proteolytic enzymes in the lysosome. Now, what's worse is once you get a single pro uh, prion, if it bumps into another uh, similar kind of protein, you know, it, boom, and now you've got two prions and they bump into two more and then you have four, then eight and 16. Chain reaction. Yeah, and you can see that this is exponential growth. So um, you is really this, want to catch. Is this that? kind of related to the beta amyloid plaque yeah. that the doctors yeah. talked about? Absolutely, absolutely. No. So you can see that this, exp this uh, exponential growth is a problem. While we might never be exposed to prions in our food supply, we can make them internally. Certain chemical toxins like organophosphate pesticides 
like glyphosates, can take a misfolded protein and turn it into a prion. This is one way that first and second generation toxins can interact. Metals get into the cells, proteins get misfolded, then these misfolded proteins bump into a pesticide and boom, you've got a prion. And then from there, the replication of the prions becomes exponential. Now, also prions are transmissible. This explains why the spouses of people with Alzheimer's are 600% more likely to get Alzheimer's themselves. So for this reason, if one person has any protein folding disorder, it would be wise for their spouse to also consider the protocol I'm gonna share at the end of this podcast. Are you suggesting that uh, body fluids are a pathway for transmission? Of prions, absolutely. No, because we are talking about eating it. Well, yeah, that's body fluids, all right. Uh, now, this may also explain the shedding phenomena of proteins that vaxxed people. Yep. Um, do we yeah, want to talk you, about this? Yeah, yes. Let's right, talk okay. about it. So when, right. you ins yeah, when you insert artificial proteins or just the amino acid coding that should be in the nucleus of that protein, when you insert it back and forth through a needle, mm -hmm. you end up with a reaction your body, your immune system will start reacting with whatever you insert in there. And now the response is creating this process. So there's a signature in the spike protein that is very similar uh, to that of prions. Uh, and so there are some scientists that are saying that um, the vaccines may be a prion delivery mechanism. I'll leave it at that. Yeah, intentional yeah. or not, we don't know. So um, as a side note, I believe that it is the accumulation of toxic fats, waxes and proteins and the damage they do that's actually the main cause of aging. Now we can heal a cut in our skin, but we can't heal aging, right? Why not? Because until now we didn't know how to get rid of these second generational toxins. So what is the answer? Sugar donuts. Ta -da! And, yes. And by sugar donuts, I mean, of course, cyclodextrins. Right. So I, yeah, let's unpack the name. So cyclo means that it's something that's formed in a round thing, something that is round. And cyclo in organic chemistry is the benzene ring with six carbons in a circle. Mm -hmm. And dextrin, if I remember right, dextrose is the other name for glucose, right? Sugar. Gastrodextrins are sugars. So exactly, a cyclodextrin is a ring of sugar or a sugar donut. So cyclodextrins are microscopic sugar donuts. That is tiny rings of sugar, 10,000 times smaller than a red blood cell. And while there are many cyclodextrins out there, the two of them in particular that I am most fascinated with for our health are alpha and beta hydroxypropyl cyclodextrin. Alpha cyclodextrin is a six sugar ring and beta cyclodextrin is a seven sugar ring. And what this means is that the hole in the middle of the alpha cyclodextrin ring is just a little bit smaller than the hole in the middle of the beta cyclodextrin ring. Now the outside of the cyclodextrins are water soluble and the insides are fat soluble. And so what this means is fat soluble things can get trapped inside the holes of the cyclodextrin and become water soluble and then you can pee them out. 
And it's the slight difference in the size between the alpha and the beta cyclodextrins that allow you to trap different size rancid fats and toxic proteins. And once you make them water soluble, now you can urinate them out. So this allows us to rid the body of things that otherwise we had, the body has no way of getting rid of on its own. Yeah, this is the ultimate Pac-Man, really. Yeah, there you go. So um, for instance, the holes in alpha cyclodextrin rings are just the right size to trap saturated fats and toxic proteins, while the holes in the beta cyclodextrin rings are the perfect size to trap cholesterol. So let's unpack, let's talk about these two in some more detail. Alpha cyclodextrins can trap and remove trans fatty acids and saturated fats and toxic waxes. And that uh, allows the metals to eventually be removed. Now, one of the interesting things is when it um, breaks the toxic waxes down, it also converts those same toxic waxes to turn back into the ceramides, the waxy substances found in youthful skin and membranes. So it's not just that you're removing the bad stuff, you're actually turning it back into what it should have been when you were young, which is even more impressive. Uh, and then also alpha cyclodextrins also trap prions and also make them water soluble. So alpha cyclodextrins are amazing just on their own. So how do we acquire it and how fast can we make it work? <laughs> well, let me tell you about the beta cyclodextrins, but wait, there's more. Okay, so beta cyclodextrins. Oh, help, me, help me, I want this now. <laughs> uh, beta cyclodextrins uh, you know, are slightly larger and they grab onto different things and they're best at removing the lipoproteins and the polyunsaturated fats that have gone rancid. And then also the kind of toxins like the aromatic and heterocyclic compounds that are created by uh, uh, cooking meat at high temperature and making it taste really good. So beta cyclodextrins, like I said, are, are better at uh, cholesterol uh, and they can deal with those large cholesterol crystals that the body can't. And they the way they do this is they increase the solubility of cholesterol 150,000 times. So remember how we're talking about, we need some kind of soap to dissolve these things so we can break them down. Beta cyclodextrin is the soap for cholesterol crystals. In fact, it's 50 times more efficient at removing seven keto cholesterol, which is the main toxic form of cholesterol than apolipoprotein A1, which is what our, the good lipoprotein that our body uses to do it. Not only that, um, in a lot of people, their apolipoprotein A1 isn't even working anymore. So uh, one of the things that, and, and this is probably why beta cyclodextrin is associated with decreasing plaque size. Um, it can regenerate the alpha lipoprotein, uh, the alpha right. lipoprotein A1 and allow it to do its work, but it also does it better than it does it itself. Uh, it's, it's rare that you can improve on nature, but this may be one of those cases. Um, beta cyclodextrin also works in the liver and has been shown to decrease cholesterol crystal in, in the kupfer cells, which is an issue for people that have non-alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease. Now, beta cyclodextrin also reduces lipofuscin. So, you know, again, if you start, if you're old enough to start seeing brown spots in your skin, that's those waxes accumulating. Uh, let's see, what else can cyclodextrins do, right? So I've been focusing mostly on the heart and the brain, but cyclodextrins do a lot more. Uh, cyclodextrins have been known to encapsulate and render non-toxic over 20 different mercury compounds. Um, they can break down immune complexes and neutrophil extracellular traps, so reactions allergic reactions don't become chronic. And what that means is, you know, you have an allergic reaction to something, like let's say um, uh, poison ivy or a, a mosquito bite, you start getting itching. 
you want that reaction to stop, right? You don't want to be scratching at that for the next 20, 30 years, but that's what can happen. These immune complexes can get in the, in the cells and uh, they can just get stuck there and leaving the body at this low level of chronic uh, allergic reaction. So uh, cyclodextrins can break those things down. Um, like they can remove allergens, carcinogens, aflatoxins, it's, uh, all that along with um, uh, some of the things that uh, we have talked about in our other podcasts are one of the few things you can do with aflatoxins. They also reduce, uh, lower uh, tumor necrosis alpha and IL interleukin-6 and other inflammatory markers, improve liver function, increase bile output. Oh, here's a fun one. They reactivate paralyzed white blood cells. So 30 years ago, oh, that's a long time. When I used to do live cell analysis, I used to look at people's blood and my own, and I would one of the things I would look for would be how active the white blood cells are, the macrophages, the neutrophils. You know, there was a, um, a, a continuum between those that were really mobile and aggressive and moving around the slide and looking for trouble to, to go after or toxins to eat. And then the average neutrophil that would move a little, but kind of sluggish. And then the ones that were just stuffed to the gills and weren't going anywhere. And I always wondered, like, what is it that makes the, that, why is this person have neutrophils that are moving and this one have neutrophils that just are completely stuffed to the gills and paralyzed? Well, now I understand the partial what's going on is that um, the neutrophils have, have and the macrophages have gobbled up, you know, toxins uh, and can't do anything with them. And they get so big that they just, they, they eventually they actually burst. You'll find exploded white blood cells on the screen. So they're not moving because they're so stuffed with toxins and toxic waxes and fats and proteins that they can't digest that they, they just can't move anymore. And then eventually they blow up. So yes. uh, capacity, nowhere to go. Right. So reactivating paralyzed white blood cells, uh, what that's telling you is it's helping them deal with uh, the crystals and the folded proteins that they're stuffed with that they couldn't deal with on their own. And as you asked before about lysosomes, yes, cyclodextrins will shrink at large lysosomes. Now, usually a person has to do a water fast to do this. And even then it can only go so far because a lot of those toxic fats, waxes and proteins are uh, even a fasting person can't get rid of them. They're, they're just um, indigestible by, from the lysosomes. Mm -hmm. So uh, by interacting with these toxic fats and waxes uh, and proteins, uh, you know, cyclodextrins can shrink enlarged lysosomes in ways that nothing else seems to be able to accomplish. And uh, that's, that's quite amazing. You know, shrinking enlarged lysosomes is a fundamental requirement for those, not just those who want to be healthy, but those who want to push the envelope out on just how long they can live in a youthful and vital state. And until now, there's really been no way to do that. So cyclodextrins are uh, a really amazing class uh, of ingredients, uh, they are generally recognized as safe. They're already in the food supply. You get them just by, uh, you know, they're in beer, uh, you know, I think in, uh, in corn. So it's not a harmful ingredient and, you know, you just need to take enough of it. And when you get enough of it into the system, you know, all sorts of amazing things start to happen. Yes, the concentration. The, the so you classic, asked, okay. The classic so what, tale of the house fire. And I say, well, when you show up with a garden hose, you're doing the right thing. You just don't have the volume. Yeah. Right. So drinking five beer 
you're going to be too drunk before you get enough life, uh, uh, enough uh, psychodextrins to uh, to make a difference. So you asked what could be done. So um, when I started researching psychodextrins and I saw how powerful they were at dealing with these seemingly unsolvable problems of aging, I started experimenting with how to take them. Now they're usually done by IV, but after a few months of research, I found a way to make them orally absorbable. So uh, what I did is I came up with a product and let's see if I can, there it is, albidextrin. And if you want to uh, experiment, it's, uh, the word is uh, short for alpha, beta, cyclodextrin. And uh, so if you want to experiment with uh, what cyclodextrins can do for you, um, I'm, you know, go to lifeenthusiast.com and I'm sure you'll have them available there. Um, there is a caveat. You should not use them if you have low cholesterol or if you're on cholesterol lowering drugs. It is possible to have your cholesterol go too low and that's not good for the body or the membranes. Also, uh, you wanna take a phosphatidylcholine supplement three hours afterwards. Alpha cyclodextrin can, rem um, can remove rancid phospholipids from cell membranes. Now, most of us are already deficient in phospholipids. We go from 90% phospholipid in our membranes to 10% by the time we're old. So yes, we want to remove rancid phospholipids, but we don't wanna leave the person with none. And since they, we can't make them as rapidly as we make cholesterol, that's something that you want to supplement with. So three hours after you take albidextrin and you're flushing, uh, if you're supporting the body and dealing with these uh, toxic secondary, second generation toxins, uh, take the, um, you know, a tablespoon of phosphatidylcholine afterwards to support the membranes in rebuilding themselves in a healthy manner. So do you need pure PC, phosphatidylcholine, or can you take it as lecithin and be okay? You know, um, I get the 90%, but if you want to get the 40%, just take twice as much. I mean, you know, right. those other ones are all the other things, the ethylamine and the, you know, and the serines, they're also useful. So you could argue um, that the less pure uh, phosphatidylcholines uh, are actually better for you. Right. That's an argument for that. I'm just thinking that the lecithin is so much more affordable than pure PC. So uh, do you have any questions about the uh, product so far? Um, okay, well, let's, uh, let's just uh, try and talk about how fast can a person progress, right? Because once you get on it, you'll probably, or once you get the message that this can indeed reverse your um, internal rancidity, you would not want to wait. You would want to get on with it, right? Um, so uh, there is the a more aggressive protocol, which is I, as I was on, which is two tablespoons a day for 30 days, uh, and then a washout phase where you want to rebuild. And then there is um, a less aggressive protocol, which might be a tablespoon a day for 30 days for people that aren't um, quite as advanced uh, in the buildup of toxins. And then there is sort of like the long term, hey, I've got it all cleaned out, but um, I don't really want to age the way I see my um, contemporaries aging, you know, like I'm 53 and, you know, you start to see your parents get senile and you think, wow, is, is that, is that what seventies and eighties are going to be like? Am I not going to be able to focus and not remember things and, mm -hmm. you know, just not have a mental energy. I don't want that. I want to, you know, keep going in full function until the day I die. So, you know, now that I've gone through that initial phase of getting the, all of the junk that have built up out of me, I'll probably stay with something like a, a teaspoon to a tablespoon every day or every other day 
just as maintenance because until I can get a body that is completely free of first generational toxins, which I may never be able to accomplish, there's always going to be the second generational toxins being created. And I'm always going to want to stay on top of that and keep them flushing out of the body so I can have the body as strong and as vital as possible. Uh, in terms of, you know, issues about taking too much, um, you know, they gave them to uh, animals and they found that at 5% of the diet for two years, they were non-toxic and we're at, you know, orders of magnitude less than that. So okay. uh, again, you know, it's, it's a generally recognized safe ingredient. They're, uh, it's just, we've only been getting them in small amounts because they're using them as stabilizers for flavors and we're using them for an entirely different reason. Um, they're made by mixing starch with certain enzymes. Uh, what about the stuff you don't absorb? Okay, so when you take it orally, there'll be a percentage that doesn't get absorbed in the gut. And it's not a big deal, actually. It's kind of good for you because um, the, the cyclodexins that aren't absorbed, that go through the gut, uh, actually are prebiotics. And they raise the bacteroides and the bifidus and the lactobacillus. And they can also absorb um, lipopolysaccharides, uh, the LPS, the really inflammatory markers that can get created by bad bacteria inside the gut. And in terms of the half-life, it has a 1.7 hour half-life, which means in 12 hours, it's 99% gone. Um, it gets uh, metabolized uh, basically down to water and carbon dioxide. So there's nothing left. So right. in, in, as long as you're not overdoing it and very low on, on cholesterol to start with, these things are very safe. Um, and you know, given the vast number of things that they can do for us, I, I think that uh, it'd be wise to consider it in part of your health uh, all right. Protocols. So this eight ounce bottle that you showed me, that's mm -hmm. 16 tablespoons. Mm -hmm. So if I take two tablespoons, that's a bottle a week. Uh, if you do, well, hang on a second. Is that 16 tablespoons? Yeah. Right. So if you are going to be on an aggressive protocol, yeah, you would go through a couple of bottles. Um, month. Once you get to the point where you are doing one teaspoon, uh, I think what that's... Uh, that's 48. 48. So you're going to get about a month and a half um, if you take it every day, one teaspoon, or about three months if you take it every other day. So yeah, there is an initial loading phase where you may go through quite a bit of it. And then you get you get to the point where it's mostly flushed. And then you can kind of um, go at a cruising altitude and just take a, a teaspoon every day or every other day. All right. So first start three bottles, go big. It, it, it would depend, right? I mean, I knew that I had a, a familial issue with um, lipid accumulation. Right? So many of us. Right. So if somebody, like I would say, um, the two classes of people that could do this, right? There are the people who say, I have no problems, but I don't ever want to have problems. Maybe someone in my family tree has got some issues. It hasn't shown up in me and I don't want it to. Okay. You know, do a teaspoon every day or every other day. Uh, or maybe do a loading phase for a week and then and then just go to cruising altitude. Then you've got the people who are like, oh, no, no, I know I've got some issues, right? Like I was one of those people. I could see that there was some plaque in my arteries. You know, I could see that there was some fatty deposits in the liver. I knew that that this, you know, there, I no matter how much I did from every other, everything else I tried, I couldn't budge them because the body has no way of getting to them, right? Yeah. And so for me, it, you know, it made sense to do a, a one month at two tablespoons a day. But now that I've gotten most of the way there and I can see, and I'm looking at the carotid artery and I'm, I'm seeing the change in the texture of the plaque 
and I'm, and I'm, and the thickness of it and the reflectivity of it, and I'm seeing what the liver looks like, I'm ready to start going and backing off and getting to a, a more of a maintenance dose. Right. So you're, you're an ultrasound specialist, right? Oh, I wouldn't say specialist. I have an ultrasound machine and I know how to use it, but. Okay. Well, the, the point is that you're actually demonstrating to yourself using your own ultrasound that you can actually have a visual of what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. So, um, it's nice to be able to look at these things in live time and watch their effect and see what's going on. Absolutely. Right. So it's not that, that you're just smoking some bad weed and imagining things. This is actually ultrasound. <laughs> you oh, can yeah. Take a yeah. Picture of it. I've got pre and post um, ultrasound photographs of the exact same angle, the exact same location of the carotid artery and, you know, the computer measurements showing the, you know, the size of the plaque shrinking down. So, yeah. yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll keep taking pictures every month and I would like to, my hope is that, um, you know, it'll keep getting smaller and smaller until it reaches, um, you know, the size where all that's left is just the, the scar tissue uh, and all the inflammation and all the calcification and all the toxic fats and waxes and, and the macrophages have been removed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, can't wait to start. All right. I don't think I have much more to say other than uh, kudos to you, Spencer, for uh, just finding a hole that the mainstream is not talking about, probably because they don't actually know that they could do something about it, right? Who would have thought that we could save the world with sugar donuts, Martin? Well, we're not saving the world. We're just giving ourselves two extra years at full speed, right? There you go. Sure. Or maybe two extra decades. I would like to hope that. Um, you know, I have a friend um, who I'm helping with this, who, uh, you know, I just had a stint put in. And of course, I'm grateful for the opportunity to help anybody uh, who wants to improve their heart condition. But there's also a really special place in my heart for... Um, helping people who are dealing with potentials of senility. Um, you know, it's one thing to have a heart attack and then boom, you're dead, right? Yeah. Um, but senility is this slow, tragic loss of oneself or of your partner or of your parents. And if we can um, help people bypass that and, and age neurologically, in a graceful ways, wow, that um, I'd be really grateful to be part of that. Yeah. This is wonderful. All right. Spencer Feldman at remedylink.com. You can get his products at Life Enthusiast. This is Martin Patella, life-enthusiast.com. Call me at 866-543-3388. Albadextrin. See you there. <laughs>